Now sit down. You're about to meet my muse. Progressive Rock! Welcome back at long last to This Is Comp, a subseries of Discord and Rhyme, where we crawl through compilations and box sets, artist by artist, song by song. All right, roll call. Rich Bennell. Mike DeFabio. And Amanda Rogers. We have not done these compilation episodes in a minute, guys. It's been like a few months, huh? Like kind we, of a big project to do. You guys might have noticed. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, besides being the special gala return of our compilation episodes, this is a special episode. We are all recording in the same Airbnb in Chicago. This is actually the first time we've been in the same place as one another since 2019. I'm not sure what happened since then. A few things. <laughs> we got busy. Okay, well, let's go on to the comp. So a special occasion is a great opportunity to introduce a special compilation. So this is the first time that we've done a homegrown compilation. And it was actually Mike who put this one together. So Mike, tell us about your comp. All right. Well, uh, first of all, I should say that this this was not my idea. This is this episode is not a, a just a ridiculous producer Mike vanity project. It was it was everybody else who liked this this comp so much, uh, which and I I just, you know, I wasn't going to say no. Uh, but this is a, a little compilation I put together called In Defense of Prog Rock. And I made it. I, I got the idea to, to put it together because if people ask me what kinds of music I like and I mention prog rock, the response I'm usually likely to get is what is that? And if I if I try to explain it, I mean, what where do I start? I could just be like, read this book that my friend Dave wrote. Um, <laughs> so I thought, yeah, it would be it would be best to to put a, a mix together of uh, what I think uh, best summarizes uh, prog rock. And I guess I should jump in and say that the book he's referring to, for those who don't know, is the book, The Show That Never Ends, The Rise and Fall of Prog Rock by our friend David Weigel. Yep. Very good book, by the way. Um, and I also I called it in defense of prog rock uh, because I it's more acceptable to like this stuff these days. But I, I do think it it still needs some defending. You know, it's it's a it's a kind of music that that's associated with just uh, basement dwellers with ponytails and, you know, who or, you know, somebody who drives a van with a wizard painted on it. And it's just no that the music is too good to just like dismiss like that. So I put I put this two CD comp together to to show why I, I think this music is is really really great. Well, I think that one thing that I want to com- combat about like the popular perception of prog rock as we go through these compilations is that like you know to a lot of people like prog rock has these like lofty ambitions of like continuing the legacy of classical music. And that's like kind of the ambitions that go along with your average, like progressive artist. And, you know, when you think of it that way, it it strikes me as very like, I don't know what prog artists are doing can be seen as very just like cold and statuesque. And uh, to me, like the experience of listening to prog is fundamental, is fundamentally really, really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I wanted this to, to first and foremost be something that's really fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be something that would just blow my 
14-year-old self's mind. Well, I guess before we go into the songs themselves, uh, uh, Amanda, what's your history with Prague as a concept? Prague as a concept. Yes. (laughs) Or Prague as a listener, Prague as just an experience. Well, Prague, I've been hearing my entire life. I didn't know until I started hanging around with you nerds that there was even a name (laughs) for that. That was its own genre stuff like Yes and Genesis and Super Tramp and Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And that was all it was all just music my mom liked. And then after a while, I thought, okay, I guess there, you know, there's some common elements in these bands and they all fit into this category that's called progressive rock. And, oh, wait, how come it's only boys in this fan club? <laughs> and yeah. so I, I ranted about that at length in our Renaissance episode. And I was losing my voice in that episode and I am again today. So I guess there's our conceptual continuity. Um, so, yeah, you can go back and listen to that if you want. I have feelings about women in Prague, but... It's it's a mysterious genre, but in a really fun way. There's it's just so many unexpected twists and turns and lots of different subgenres of it. And I don't know, I it's not necessarily like at the top of my list of favorite genres, but it's very high up and I'm never ever bored listening to progressive rock. It is a, a style of music that seems to attract a lot of just really snobby joyless fans but uh mm-hmm. p- please don't let that put you off because the music is so much fun and i'll tell you i usually record these episodes in my basement with a ponytail and i am awesome so <laughs> if that is you as well this is true verified and you know it's not entirely incorrect that this is music for awkward nerds but we are all awkward nerds and happy that way so you know what join the crowd yeah. And as for my own history, more broadly with Prague, I, I'm actually going to get into that as we talk about the songs themselves. So we might as well just move into the compilation itself. So, Mike, what does it start with? It starts pretty much the only way it could with Watcher of the Skies by Genesis. and things i don't like to start out with track one from an album usually i I, it feels like that's being handed to you it's too easy 
But there was just no other appropriate track one for this comp than Watcher of the Skies. It starts off with like, what is it, a minute and a half of just Tony Banks solo Mellotron. The way it starts, and particularly the way the Mellotron just cuts in, it's like you are like, from the first second, you are in a different world. did a bonus episode about really great Mellotron songs a while back in which we talked about that intro at length. So yeah. if you want to hear us rave about Watcher of the Skies and the Mellotron, go listen to that. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I should say more broadly that Watcher of the Skies comes from the uh, 1973 Genesis album Foxtrot, which Mike screamed at everybody to listen to <laughs> back in our full length Genesis episode. And he was absolutely right to do so. It is uh, possibly the definitive Genesis album from either era. And for a more yeah. Exhaustive history of Genesis. You should please consult that episode. Even though we kind of, we kind of pulled a troll move and discussed two albums from the Phil Collins era. <laughs> none of the Peter Gabriel stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike got really worked up about wanting you all to listen to Foxtrot. You should. Man, what am I, a twelve-year-old boy? <laughs> so I really hope you all went and did that because otherwise he'll just keel over and die. Yeah, yeah. But, but Watcher of the Skies. Go on, Mike. Oh yeah. Well, Watcher of the Skies. If, if somebody asked me, what is prog rock? What I'm going to tell you is probably go on YouTube and look up Genesis performing Watcher of the Skies and, and watch that. That is prog rock. It's, you know, not only are Genesis just going nuts and playing this awesome song, but you also get Peter Gabriel dressed like an alien with bat ears on his head. It's just, just the you you need the full visual experience. And you have had the chance to see the musical box live. I've seen right? the musical box Mike. perform this song as well. They they performed the entire "Lamb Lies Down" on Broadway album. That's a Genesis cover band. Right? Yeah, they're yeah the, they're the officially sanctioned Genesis cover band. Oh, officially sanctioned. I didn't know yeah, that. I think I think Phil Collins actually sat in on drums with them once. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and he said, "Oh, they they play our songs better than we did." <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they encored with. Uh, Watcher of the Skies and the musical box, the song um, that was when that first Mellotron chord hit. Uh, I was just in heaven. This this was the first Peter Gabriel era Genesis song I'd ever heard. And I knew Phil Collins. I knew Phil Collins era Genesis and I knew solo Peter Gabriel. But hearing them both together and like so young and full of energy and ideas and just, I mean, this song is just, just explodes yeah. with, with ideas. There's just this youthful, hungry energy that they have that's, that's uh, just split my mind wide open. I, I use that phrase a lot. I'm sorry, Lou Reed, that I stole that. One of the criticisms I've seen levied at prog rock is that there's no such thing as a prog banger. Um, what? And uh, I beg to differ. Uh, I, th this song might be in 6-4, but there is a 4-4 four, four kick drum back there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or four on the floor, I should say. Well, one thing I was going to say about it, actually, that fits right into that point, Mike, is that like I, I, I didn't realize this until like just actually today, like listening to it in preparation for this episode. But they, they're, they're, it's surprisingly like once the main melody kicks in and Peter Gabriel shows up, like the entire melody and arrangement are surprisingly rhythmic. Like, yeah, it always oh, yeah. struck me as like extremely herky jerky, like going all over the place and kind of just like uh, shifting between time signatures but i realized that it's all like basically all driven by that single like like sometimes it disappears like sometimes it goes into the background but like fundamentally like the entire main section of the song has that pulse underneath it and i think that that's like really really clever like you can actually theoretically i don't know go running to this song yeah which is strange to me it's a one note riff yeah it's an immediately identifiable one note riff like that's hard to come up with mm-hmm. and i think I, I it's hard for me to to tell who did what in a genesis song usually but i i'm pretty sure that's a mike rutherford riff it's great yeah yeah and it took me a while to actually appreciate this one i think just pr- primarily because of like the, the the tone like the timbre of like tony banks's synthesizers like uh, it, it it struck me as very much like i don't know kind of like the the organ at a baseball game or something <laughs> like that yeah. uh, especially the part where it sounds like you know the bat where it sounds like he's hanging back and the batter is coming up <laughs> it's just <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. exactly that part. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, once I learned to get over that, like it's it's absolutely like one of like the great classic Genesis songs. And we, we, we've talked about like going back and doing like Foxtrot as a proper episode. Cause yeah. Sure. I, Cause I know that we, like I said, it was kind of a troll move to do the two Phil Collins is as, as delightful as that episode was. Yeah. You know, we're going to have to do Foxtrot at some point, but yeah, like Foxtrot is like, you know, straight up bangers from start to finish, including can utility and the coastliners. I like that song too. Oh, super underrated. Track. <laughs> uh, Amanda, what do you think of watcher of the skies? Oh, it's so great. Mike, I really liked what you said about this being like the prog rock type specimen. Yeah. Cause that's what I have here in my notes already. It's, <laughs> it just seems like the, it's such the obvious choice to start off a prog compilation because, I mean, even after that extremely ostentatious introduction, the whole thing just screams, I am a progressive rock song <laughs> in big neon letters. You know, I, and like you said, I feel like if somebody asked what prog rock is, you just play them this song and say, it's stuff that sounds like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this, it's that giant pile of keybro- keyboards in the intro. It's in a mildly quirky time signature. Like you said, I think it's 6-4 for the most part, but I think it skips around a little bit here and there. Yeah. And it's, it took me a little bit to even figure that out. I'm usually pretty good at counting out time signatures, but they don't start the phrase where you would expect. Mm-hmm. So it sounds a little weirder than it actually is. And I like that a lot. It, that's something that Genesis was good at. Yeah. And it has just utterly bizarre lyrics about man's relationship to earth. And it, who was it? This is a Tony Banks song, right? Did he write the lyrics to this? I think it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems very Banksian. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, again, you know, Prague, Genesis, Tony Banks, this is all like Watcher of the Skies is the Venn diagram of those three things and <laughs> the best examples of all of them. And then, so I went looking around for sheet music to make sure I'd counted out that time signature, right? And that was when I discovered that the song is in the key of F sharp, 
meaning there are six sharps in the key signature because Tony Banks is a sadistic lunatic and I guess just didn't want anybody to ever be able to recreate this. And, and Mike, you said that was the same key as All-Star by Smash Mouth, right? Yes, it shares the same key as All-Star and Olivier Messiaen's Taranga Lila Symphony. So <laughs> make of that what you will. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shit. And I think, like we mentioned, you guys mentioned in the Fish episode that Fish covered Watcher of the Skies at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I went and looked at that. Uh, I went and watched the video. It was very fun to watch because the, the, you know, the band members of Genesis are in the audience looking extremely skeptical the whole time. <laughs> Although I thought it was a really good performance. And I don't know, what's their keyboard player's name? Paige McConnell. Okay. He's playing almost entirely on the black keys. Because you have to, because there are six sharps in this song. <laughs> and, and it just, watch her, this guy's rules. I'm so glad it's the first one we're talking about. Yeah, it's a great opening argument in the case of in defense of prog rock. Absolutely. So what's the uh, second argument? Second argument is uh, a little more, for, for the second song, I, I wanted to, to go with uh, less of a heavy hitter, less, less of an obvious, like, big name prog band. So I, I went with the band Camel. And this is their song, Free Fall. She's a good girl. <laughs> Can't believe I didn't think of that. Crazy about camels. <laughs> Camel before on this podcast, so buckle up. Here is a brief history of them. Camel originated in Guildford, Surrey, England, and like many prog bands, they've had a rotating lineup, the one constant in this case being singer, guitarist, keyboardist, and flutist Andrew Latimer. So in the mid-60s, Latimer and his brother Ian played in a blues rock band called the Phantom Four, which then became the Strange Brew. So Ian Latimer left the band to get married, loser, and they then... <laughs> And they then picked up Doug Ferguson on bass and Andy Ward on drums. It became just The Brew. So the original Camel lineup finally solidified when they put out an ad in Melody Maker for a keyboardist and eventually hired Peter Bardens, who had previously played in Them, you know, the band with Van Morrison. So they originally performed under the name Peter Bardens', Peter Bardens is On, and then presumably deciding that this was too much of a tongue twister. Like, that was tough to say, guys. <laughs> uh, they eventually settled on the name Camel. 
So Camel signed to MCA Records and released its self-titled debut in 1972, and it was a flop, though it is a, it is a pretty good album. They switched labels to the Decca Records imprint Darum for their sophomore album, 1973's Mirage, and that's where Freefall comes from. So the album wasn't a huge success in the UK, but it did surprisingly well in the US, and they gradually built up a cult following on both sides of the Atlantic over the course of the 1970s. Anyway, take it away, Mike. Why did you put it on this comp? I put it on this comp. Well, my introduction to Camel was uh, their album, The Snow Goose, yeah. which is a, a big favorite of Rich's. But the problem with The Snow Goose is that it's kind of a big, long album length suite, which is going to be a, a recurring theme. Uh, so I hope you like those. But uh, you know, I, one of the rules I set up for myself with this album is that I, I didn't want I didn't want to include any songs longer than 10 minutes uh, just because. You know, I wanted to fit more on and I did I don't want to scare people away with a bunch of just unwieldy long songs. So I uh, I picked a song from the other Camel album I really like, which is which is Mirage. And I think this works as a, a really cool track one. And also it also it works nicely as a track two, because, uh, you know, track two is kind of the what else you got slot. And so I I use that to, to dig a little bit deeper into like the, you know, sort of the second tier prog bands that it's are true. still it's really, good, really good. It's a good prog. What else you got? Yeah. Like uh, after Genesis, which is a relatively like more well-known band. Well, it's yeah, like, it's just prog progressive rock. Wasn't just these like giant dinosaur bands stomping mm-hmm. across the landscape. There were, there were a bunch of littler bands too, that were also really good. So Amanda, what do you think of this one? It's really groovy. I like this a lot. It rocks harder than I had expected because the only camel I had heard previously was the snow goose. And I remember that one being relatively chill, at least for the most part. Um, and I, I really like that boingy droney sound going on in the background. There's, there's just an extra layer of texture that's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read the credits on Wikipedia and I don't know if that's a mini Moog or a clavinet or what the hell it is, but it sounds super cool. I mean, this, this one was new to me. Mo, it, to be honest, the majority of this comp was new to me. And this is one that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, what I like about it, one of the things I like about it is, is yeah, it, it does rock harder than camel usually do but it it does it, it they're they're rocking in this strangely chill kind of way yeah that's true it's yeah it's it's definitely a a rocker but you know you can you just kind of sway back and forth to it yeah, yeah there's no like real, you're in the 70s it rocks reasonably hard but there's no tension yeah yeah unlike another song that's coming up <laughs> but yeah that's a and, and that's a thing that I, I think maybe a lot of people don't necessarily realize about prog rock is it often really does rock yeah. Like the rock part of it isn't just a clever name. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so I mentioned that the, my personal history with Prague is kind of tied up in like my personal history with these songs. And I specifically meant this one right here because like Camel for me is like the sound of being like four or five years old and growing up because my, my parents liked a lot of different prog bands. They liked Yes, they liked the Moody Blues, they liked uh, a, a little bit of Genesis, but primarily they played a lot of Camel. And so, so what they primarily played was the Snow Goose, which Mike mentioned that like uh, I, I remember hearing like the snow goose just like in the background just like constantly and it it was kind of just like the sound of growing up to me
also heard Freefall a lot because they played this compilation called A Compact Compilation, which featured a couple of songs from Mirage, um, as well as a couple of other good ones from like the Moon Madness album. And yeah, like for like basically this was like baby's first prog band for me, like even before like I got myself into bands like Yes and Genesis and Jethro Tull, like this was kind of like my like guide as a toddler into like the sounds of prog rock. So Camel's very special to me and I really like this song. Hmm. That's great. I recommend that anybody like, you know, who's even just like slightly curious about Prague, check out the Snow Goose. I mean, like it, it, it is like their big like conceptual suite, but it's like it still consists of like 22 like bite sized songs. Like it's very, very easy to listen to, like on a track for track basis. And I think it serves as kind of like a good gateway drug for like the concept of Prague as like a catchy thing. Yeah. Oh, the Snow Goose is delightful. It's it's got a, a very easy to follow story. It's you know, it's a it's a rare concept album where the concept doesn't fall apart halfway through. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. OK, well, we are behind our camel. <laughs> I had to shoehorn that in somehow. So what is the next song on your compilation, Mike? Uh, the next song is Winter Wine by Caravan. roots in a band called the wild flowers that's two words and wild has an e on the end who were from canterbury england i like me i like you and the things that we do though my mouth of you too it's as if we both you take your robe off your back if there's something i lack take your shoes off the rack and get in your wet mat i can't stand the strain or the tension and they didn't last long, only about three years. But after they broke up in 1967, the members went on to form several other bands, including Caravan. And all these groups wound up forming a prog subgenre known as the Canterbury scene. As far as I can tell, they're characterized by like adding bits of jazz and psychedelic rock into their prog sound. Um, it's kind of unfortunate that I drew the straw for talking about Caravan and the Canterbury scene because I had never even heard of it until about a week ago. So I'm really not the person to be asking about this, but that scene is going to come up again in this comp. And I think 
all the rest of these guys are more knowledgeable about it than I am. I think it's not a very strictly defined scene, honestly. It's mostly mm-hmm. like related to this one band you just referred to. Yeah, and I, and I don't think like the the actual geographical place of Canterbury didn't really have a whole lot to do with it. That was just where that one band got started and it sort of, the name ended up getting attached to all these related bands who were from all over. But anyhow, it's complicated in We're not a geography podcast. Yeah. What? Caravan themselves formed in 1968 and were originally David Sinclair, his cousin Richard Sinclair, Richard Coughlin, and Pi Hastings, who with that name was destined to be either a prog guitarist or a baker. (laughs) They had all been part of the Wildflowers, although not at the same time. And their first album, which was self-titled, came out in 1968 and then was followed by... If I could do it all over again, I'd do it all over you <laughs> in 1970. If you're looking for reasons why there aren't more women prog fans, there's one. They have got some questionable album titles. Yeah, they also have For Girls Who Grow Plump in the Night. And Cunning Stunts. Yeah. Awesomely questionable. Yeah. Yeah, sure. they seem like Quiet Riot album titles or just like <laughs> awesomely hair metal in some way. <laughs> Winterwine comes from the album In the Land of Gray and Pink from 1971. And Caravan's actually still around. They released an album just last year, which I have not listened to. And they've had a billion different lineups over the years. But Pie Hastings and Richard Coughlin are usually around. So it's not quite a Ship of Theseus situation. So, Mike, why? We don't usually have the curator of the comp <laughs> right here to ask questions. So, tell us about why you picked Caravan in this particular Caravan song. Well, uh, Caravan seemed like a, a natural way to follow up uh, Camel because the two of them, well, first of all, Cam- Camel sometimes get lumped into the Canterbury scene, but there's some dispute about that. But also, the, the two of them, in my mind, I, I have sort of a, a micro genre. Uh, I, I think of them both as sort of cozy prog. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Ca- Caravan especially are like a, a band that you just like curl up under a blanket with, you know, some hot chocolate and listen to in a, in a little cottage. Um, especially, you know, something like Winter Wine with, you know, it's, you know, lyrics about dragons and wizards and things. So great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite song from uh, In the Land of Graham Pink is... Nine Feet Underground, which takes up the entire second side. So that that wasn't an option. Uh, but Winter Wine, I think, is a lovely song. It it has a nice, uh, has kind of a, a fake out acoustic intro to make you think this is going to be like the, the general ballad of the album. But then it really picks up and and goes places as as progressive rock tends to do. I will say as in regard to like the Canterbury sound, like I and in regards to Camel, uh, I, the reason that Camel sometimes get lumped in with them is because a couple of members of Caravan joined the Camel lineup later on in the 70s for albums like Breathless. Hmm. And I looked it up They're in Surrey. So in order to make a pilgrimage to Canterbury, they would have to walk at least 26 miles. <laughs> yeah, the Camel's Tale. <laughs> they would tell stories the whole time. They would tell stories. But yeah, that would be way better than the wife of Bath's story. <laughs> no, nothing's better than the wife of Bath's story. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I, I'm just kind of like stalling to say that I don't really have much to say about winter wine itself. It's a, it's delightfully dorky. I will say like we have to have some delightfully dorky songs on this compilation it's yeah. for it to be a proper prog compilation. Three tracks in makes sense for a, for a dragon to make its first appearance. Yes. Yeah. 
Amanda, did you say whether, did, did you weigh in on whether this was a good one? I am crazy about this song. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it was very pleasant to listen to because you Mike gave us all a copy of this comp the last time we got together three years ago and I've listened to it, but I didn't pay especially close attention until I was getting ready for this recording. And that was when I realized how gloriously dweeby it is. <laughs> I mean, there's another objection I often hear to prog rock is it's all, you know, they, they're all the time singing about dragons and wizards and magic and shit. And if you're not into that, then sure, that's a fair objection to have. But I am very into all of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, these lyrics are basically a bunch of fantasy novel fairy tale images strung together with no real narrative that I could piece together. And I'm sure that could come off as lazy to some people, but I just adore it because, you know, for someone like me who spent her entire childhood and much of her adulthood reading all the fantasy adventure novels I could get my hands on with a special emphasis on King Arthur and anything involving dragons. This is just heaven. And I mean that with a hundred percent sincerity. This song is lovely mm -hmm. and it's, I, I really enjoy all the images in it and the singing is fantastic. I like, I feel like this vocalist is a little bit more technically proficient than you often hear in the prog world. Hmm. Um, Cause eh, there's not to say that prog singers tend to be bad, but they don't often sound v trained. If yeah. that makes sense. They, they, they make up for it with the, uh, with personality. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of charisma. Uh, but this guy sounds trained. I mean, and if you want technical proficiency in your prog vocalists, you go straight to Renaissance and Annie Haslam, but th this guy's pretty good too. And I have been wondering about the sequencing of this comp mic. There's something I'm curious if you did this on purpose. Okay. Is it starts off with tracks that are melodic and attention getting and relatively accessible and often quite pretty. So it eases you in. And then before you know it, you're listening to egg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be continued. I, you know, I did uh, intentionally, I, I didn't want to alienate the listener right off the bat. It does I, definitely look like there are movements in the comp. Yeah. There, yeah. It's, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a conscious thing really, but after the fact, I noticed that there are definitely sections. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is, and I will say this is really, really well sequenced. Yeah. Well, thank you. It flows extremely nicely. And you did like fancy crossfading and I stuff. I did crossfades and things. Yeah. Great. Well, let's <laughs> flow on to the next track. So what is the final one of this set, Mike? The final one of this set, a uh, little bit different in mood from, from Winter <laughs> Wine. This is, this is a song we've talked about already a, a long, long ass time ago. This is Knife Edge by Emerson Lake and Palmer. Just a step, cried the sad man Take a look down at the madman Theatre kings on Silver wings fly beyond reason From the flight of the seagull Come the spread claws of the eagle Only fear breaks the silence As we all kneel, pray for guidance
have already discussed Emerson, Lake and Palmer in great detail on this podcast. We have talked about this very song way, way back in our seventh episode on ELP's self-titled debut. So if you want to know the full history of ELP, check that episode out. John did a great job of going through all of that. But for now, Mike, why did you put Knife Edge on this comp? Well, Emerson, Lake and Palmer are another band where a lot of their best material is very long. Uh, I'm not talking about just side long suites. They have side and a half long suites. Yeah. <laughs> Carnival nine. You have to flip the record over to get the rest of it. Yep. That's why it says, welcome back my friends to the show that never ends on the radio. Yeah. It's that's not just a happy coincidence. That's the beginning of side two. Yeah. The pool was, was somewhat limited for, for Emerson Lake and Palmer songs. So uh, I went with Knife Edge just because, well, I talked about why I like it so much. And when we did the Emerson Lake and Palmer episode, and my, my opinion hasn't changed it at all. I, I love it because it's somehow without <laughs> using a guitar in any capacity. Uh, it's incredibly heavy and dark and apocalyptic and doomy in. I mean, yeah, you can get all those things from going on Twitter, but th- this is all those things in a, in a, in an exciting way. Yeah, I'm just picturing you like in the time since the Emerson Lake and Palmer episode, just turning heel on them. And now you hate them. <laughs> yeah, I've completely, yeah, completely turned around. I hate them now. Um, I mean, I, as a teenager, I was a much bigger fan of them than I am now, just because their best albums were great, but they were great for a, pretty short window of time yeah they're a pretty major part of the progressive rock story and to make up for the fact that the song is only about five minutes long uh we're going to be hearing from all three members of emerson lake and palmer uh in different bands <sighs> over the course of this comp yeah right yeah i i didn't get a chance to talk about knife edge or elp's debut because i wasn't on that episode but you guys did you know basically talked about like anything else that i could have to offer so i'll, I'll just say more broadly about elp is that one thing i like about them particularly as a prog band is that like you know with, with a lot of bands in like the prog like quote-unquote genre you can really like zero in on their like kind of symphonic aspects like that you, you you can hear them like trying to be like a big have a big sound and having a lot of like big instruments and elp is a big band but they also kind of sound like a small power trio to me yeah well they kind of are yeah, yeah. That's, that, that, that's what i mean is that like at their core like they sound like they're doing these like huge arrangements and ideas but like fundamentally i hear like uh, you know, a bassist, an organist and a drummer, like just rocking out and being awesome. So yeah, this is an incredibly complex song, but at its core, like I hear this awesome band rocking out. Yeah. It's just these, these three guys, it's just these three guys going crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's like fundamentally the appeal of ELP to me. Like when they do like the cover of hoedown, like they're just (laughs) at its core. I just love hearing them rock out. Amanda, what about you? I mean, well, you, you, you talked about Knife Edge back in, what, 2018? Yeah, whenever that was. We'll talk some more about it. <laughs> I really like Knife Edge, and I think it's really interesting that you picked this to re- represent Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, because I don't tend to think of this rougher sound when yeah. I think of ELP, which might yeah. be a little misguided on my part, because they did plenty of stuff that sounds like this, but it's not the the side of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer that I prefer. 
So my mind tends to go to stuff like the endless enigma or take a pebble Mm. or even carnival nine, which rocks plenty, but not quite like this. Yeah. So if I had somehow been in charge of this, it probably wasn't, isn't the song I would have picked, but I'm glad I wasn't in charge of this because (laughs) I think it was a really, really great choice. It's, it, it's just, there's nothing that quite sounds like ELP when they really decided to rock out. Yeah. The only, the, the one, uh, regret I have about picking Knife Edge. I mean, I, I love Knife Edge. Um, but the, 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 the one thing that, that gets left out is, you know, Keith Emerson's uh, way of just abusing a Moog synthesizer. Oh, he, yeah. He just he had a way of making it thing. scream horribly in awesome ways. I, I also will say that this opening suite, so to speak, of like four songs, like really hammers home to me, like how like rhythmic prog rock is oh yeah like in their own strange ways like it's a bunch of like weird time signatures but they all like especially this one and especially watcher of the skies like do a great job like really like showing ways creative ways to like hammer a rhythm into the listeners yeah Yeah, they they find ways of of making these odd time signatures really catchy yeah yeah some of the best rock drummers around were the prog guys oh yeah Mm mm-hmm Okay, well, I think that does it for the very first set of In Defense of Prog Rock. We've started to mount quite a good defense, I think. So join us in the next episode as we sing the merits of Jethro Tull, Yes, Soft Machine, and Gentle Giant. Woo! All right, let's roll some credits. What do you call this record with all these songs? This is Kong. Yeah, yeah. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is. Thank you for listening to This Is Comp, a subsidiary of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. You can hear back episodes of this series and our regular album-focused episodes at discordpod.com. And you can also subscribe to Discord and Rhyme on your podcast app of choice. This closing theme is performed by Kenneth Crayley and is based on the song This Is Pop by XTC. You can find his music at bandcamp.com. Editing and production is by me, Rich Bunnell. We'll be back with another Prague episode in two weeks. And in the meantime, keep as cool as you can. Good night, and keep watching the skis. Uh, skies.